wasn't even smoking marijuana at the time. You know, I just ended up meeting somebody that was a, at a high level that can really already kind of introduce me to that game, basically, at a certain point, you know, and just with my level of, you know, communication and, you know, basically both street smart and book smart, right. you know, I was able to kind of accept this person as kind of like a mentor in a sense to learn the business you know so it started from there i mean and it progressed rapidly you know within three months you know from i didn't have a vehicle i didn't have anything you know i was getting fronted ounces at first and then within a few months you know and that's just with the power of networking you know just applying all these <laughs> business principles that i wasn't yeah. really you know understanding at the time knowing that this was how business works you know but just it kind of coming naturally and intuitively to me, it really progressed rapidly to where I was then going into the pounds. And then that's when I was like the right-hand man. And that's how it escalated to where it, it did come to the 250K a week because that was just the, you know, it came from ounces to, you know, selling half pounds to selling pounds, then to selling five pounds at a time, seven pounds at a time, 10 pounds at a time. What if the truth came in a gel cap and we could just pop it in our mouths and forget about it? Well, it doesn't, and we can't. But we can laugh in the face of reality while plotting our survival. Welcome to the Truth Tastes Funny Podcast. I am your host, Hirsch Repun. And if my guests can handle the truth, so can you. Open wide, folks. Here it comes. My guest today on Truth Tastes Funny is Damon Samoria. Damon is what I would call a growing and successful individual. He was successful at a very early age in academia. He was on a really great path. He was the kind of kid you might catch or reading the Wall Street Journal at six years old. And then he grew in a different direction and grew an illegal marijuana business from zero to $250,000 a week, which as you could imagine, while impressive, in the numbers was something that ended up landing him in prison. So that was a point at which he decided to reevaluate. And I'll let him tell the story as well. But it is a very fascinating and instructive one and just a really interesting gentleman to speak with. We had a chance to speak. I think the last time we spoke was at the end of last year. And we had a very interesting conversation. And this is the one today that we're recording. And so we'll catch up even further with Damon Samoria. Damon, welcome to the show. Thank you, Hirsch. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for yes. having me. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. Great to see you again. So for our audience's benefit, share a little bit about, I touched on your trajectory, but in very quick strokes. So maybe you get a little deeper into your story. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, like you said, I mean, early on with the success in academia, I mean, a lot of that was you know, instilled in me by my parents, you know, at a young age from really prioritizing, you know, schoolwork and studying and, you know, things like that. And just, you know, just being able to express myself in different ways from reading a lot to, you know, doing a lot of, I guess, things that can, you know, I guess, stretch my mind in a sense. You know, I did a lot of building. I read the Wall Street Journal, did a lot of crosswords at a, at a young age. And, you know, that that kind of developed into like a love for reading, a love for learning, you know, just having that curious mind and everything like that. And that's why, you know, the way that my life has kind of unfolded is just having that that thirst for the knowledge, thirst for, 
you know, adventure and things like that. And, you know, it's, it was always, once again, it was always instilled in me to really prioritize school and grades. And as, you know, I moved throughout the different years from elementary school to middle school, reading the most books out of anybody in the school, helping others with, you know, tests and things like that to, you know, going into middle school where I was awarded National Junior Honor Society, college letters at 12 years old and things like that. And then moving forward into high school is, you know, when I was accepted into a liberal arts and science academy, but that was when I kind of hit a wall, you know, so to speak, and just wasn't used to asking for help and stuff. And I was really challenged at that time because since, you know, since the young age, I was always, you know, kind of left to figure things out on my own in a sense, even though it was instilled in me to, you know, be really proactive with my studies and, and things like that. There wasn't any help I really received from the outside. And yeah, so once that that kind of unfolded in high school, that's kind of where I, I went off the rails in a sense, because having that level of success with academia throughout that whole period, with my dad being the one that I looked up to, with him instilling those certain qualities in me to be successful in academia, and, you know, always, you know, having that proudness of me and things like that. When I did end up finally having that, that failure moment, it was one of those things where, you know, the way that the reaction was from my parents in general, kind of put me in the spot where it's like, well, if the one that I look up to the most is reacting this way, then you know, because of one failure, instead of actually like understanding me and understanding the, the situation and trying to get me the help that I needed, in a sense, it was kind of like, well, if they don't care, then why should I care anymore? You know, and yeah. that's when I kind of fell into like the wrong crowd, so to speak. You know, well, let's, there was I'm going to stop you for one second, David, because <laughs> it's what it brings up in my mind is, you know, and as a parent, I know that you can get comfortable both the parent and the child can probably get pretty comfortable with the way things are as far as expectations go as long as you're doing great you know you don't have to worry about pleasing your parents as long as you're doing great your parents don't have to worry about oh well damon's not gonna you know he's not gonna get in trouble he's perfect right. basically he does everything right and i think that's a, a great place to kind of just explore for a second Prior to that, was there pressure or to do like even better or better or it was just you or they were just kind of hands off and just glad that things were going a certain way? In a sense, there was almost a balance, so to speak, just because there was always that that pressure, you know, which was great, you know, knowing like, hey, they have my back no matter what, you know, and that's that's what I that's that was my perspective on it all where it was like okay you're doing good but you can always do better you know and that's that's one of the things that you know just going through everything you know from all the things that i was involved in with different leadership conferences and stuff you know being in middle school and national junior honor society and stuff like that there was always that pressure you know everything wasn't you know, perfect. It wasn't always straight A's, you know, they knew my strengths in certain areas and whatnot. So there were certain things that they did press on. But at the same time, it was 
like you said, that that comfortability where it's like, well, Damon knows what he's doing, you know, he's fine, you know, whatever, whatever he needs to do to, you know, get things done, like, we'll have his back in a sense, but it just they weren't too familiar with how exactly to go about it. So yeah, it was, it was definitely a balance. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing is academic achievement is, and even behavioral, you know, normalcy and all that stuff is one side. Socialization is another side, you know, getting along with with kids, having friends or just fe- how you feel about yourself is a, your mental, you know, uh, self-care and wellness is a whole other thing because the standard is. Are, are different. You see so many overachievers, specifically overachievers, who break down in some way because the expectation has just been built up and built up with no release valve for failure, mm-hmm. you know? But let's touch on for a moment socialization, like your friendships in school. What was that like with other kids, your relationships with other kids? I had really good relationships, so to speak, because I was so, you know, I guess in different friend groups, you know, I didn't necessarily have like maybe one solid friends. I mean, of course I had a few, a few friends that, you know, I would always associate myself with, but at the same time, like I was the kid that would, you know, if I seen someone eating lunch by themselves, you know, I'd go sit down next to them. You know, if I knew that somebody was being made fun of, you know, or teased because they might've been an outsider, you know, I'm, I'm the one that would go and, you know, sit down with them, you know, but then I'd also be with the athletes or the kids that they turned the popular kids or whatnot, you know, so it wasn't, I guess, maybe the relationships weren't as deep, but more broad, so to speak. Yeah. But was there ever an inclination to test boundaries, like try stuff that might be you know, getting in trouble or just, you know, were you attracted at all to, to danger or boundary testing? Mm. Not necessarily. I mean, there were a few kids that I would see that I would talk to. And those were the kids that they'd be kind of, you know, hanging out in the hallways in between classes. Or, you know, I remember going to like PE and there, that was always like, in the back of the school so it's like the exit that's least monitored and stuff like that (laughs) so there was those kids that would be the ones that would skip you know and that's where they'd hang out at and i knew you know i would i was just always curious so i'd ask them like so what do you do like why do you do this and stuff like that and you know so it was just kind of getting that information but not necessarily influenced to the level where it's like you know that sounds great maybe i should try that you know right more so those same kids that once i had the trouble in the liberal arts and science academy which was a a school that i had to transfer to out of my district once i fell out of there i actually went to the school which was a lower performing school that was down the street in my district and those same kids were there so that second semester of high school is when I did meet those kids again. And that was, that was when, you know, I was already in that mindset where, you know, my parents are treating me this way because I failed, you know, why should I care? You know, because, you know, it seems like everything just came crashing down. So that right. at that point is when, you know, yeah. I've seen those same kids, they'd been doing that since, you know, middle school days. And it you was knew like, where okay, to, well now, yeah, yeah, now you knew where to find that level that, 
you previously hadn't been attracted to. So what what did your parents do for work? So my dad is a chef and my mom is a nurse. Uh So she's worked in healthcare and my dad's been in the the food hospitality industry. Did you, at that point, had you ever like worked, gone to work with them, hung out with them at work? Like, was there a sense of here's what we do? We want you to understand it or we want you to possibly follow in it? Did they have plans for what they thought you might want to go into? We did. I did visit both of my parents' jobs quite frequently just because of the way the schedules were. My mom worked nights, my dad worked days. So sometimes when my mom would be getting off of work, my dad would be going into work. So instead of us being home alone or whatnot, we'd go with my dad to my mom's job and kind of hang out there maybe in the staff break room at the hospital. She worked at the children's hospital. So it was, you know, we got, I got a good, you know, impression of what they do and and kind of seeing, you know, the background and stuff like that. I mean, I would also pick up some of the medical textbooks that my mom had in the house and read those as well. But there was never (laughs) the pressure from that side, from my mom, so to speak. But with my dad, yes, we did also at that time when I was young, he did a lot of catering and he did a lot of stuff for, you know, Many dignitaries I would visit Austin, the president, president of Mexico, the dean of University of Texas at Austin, Lady Bird Johnson, you know, things like that. So I was fortunate to get that experience. You know, we'd go in and help them, you know, prepare box lunches for certain events. You know, I'd roll silverware. We did, you know, fine dining setup. So even just stuff in the kitchen, you know, peeling potatoes and stuff like that. So I did get to experience some of that side of what my dad did, but then also at home as well. Every Sunday he'd cook, you know, so it was one of those things where we, me and my my younger brother, we we kind of just stand there in the kitchen and maybe help him do some things, maybe wash the collard greens or whatever it is, do some small task and help out with the, with the Sunday meal and then listen to him, you know, talk about a, a wide variety of different things and learn and stuff like that. But I didn't really know at the time, I actually kind of found this out not too long ago that my dad was really disappointed that I didn't follow in his footsteps to jump into Mm. culinary, you know, because it is something that I enjoy doing. I enjoy, I just have that within me to cook, you know, especially since I grew up around it, but I, I love and enjoy doing it for myself and for those that I love and care about, but not as for like a professional career. So he was, you know, just recently he did let me know that he was kind of disappointed when I didn't follow in that footsteps. But yeah, growing up, I definitely got to experience both of their jobs, what they did and how they cared for people and, you know, things like that. And that was one of the things that I kind of, I, I guess, really contributed to how hard I took things was because I would see my dad interact with people and see the the kindness and tenderness that he approached people with, you know, with a giving attitude and things like that. And just with a loving, you know, support and you know, even with my mom being in healthcare, same way, you know, I saw the kids that she worked with, I saw how it took a a toll on her whenever, you know, some of the kids would pass and stuff like that. So just seeing that with my dad, and then seeing kind of like the wrath that he imposed on me for, you know, certain things that may not have really carried much weight to deserve that wrath, Mm -hmm. and, and just anger and stuff like that. That's what really upset me. And kind of, held most of the weight because it's like, well, how can you be so nice and so kind and so giving and 
you know, so thoughtful for all these other people. And here I am, your son, you know, the one who needs you the most, the one who looks up to you the most, the one who relies on you the most. Treat me in that manner, you know, for even just the smallest mistake to something maybe that carries a little more weight, like, you know, yeah. failing in academia or something like that. Well, a couple times already in this conversation, you mentioned the outsized reaction to the so, so tell tell us a little bit what that first brush with failure quote unquote was and then what the reaction was from your parents well really the first brush was i mean going back through just the trauma i mean the first actual brush was when i did fail in the liberal arts and science academy my freshman year because i mean i went into high school with already one and a half credits you know, but I mean, just growing up, I mean, there was certain things like if the floor wasn't swept right or, you know, I had, you know, just any, just the smallest things, you know, just if I wasn't walking fast enough when we were walking, like those were things that, that my dad was really aggressive on and just took things out, you know, when it came to like physical, emotional, you know, verbal abuse and things like that. So just growing up that I was always there, you know, I was always kind of on pins and needles about things. And that's what really drove me to do, you know, the best that I could. So that's why there wasn't necessarily always that pressure there, like I was referring to, because I was already on pins and needles, you know, and then with even with having relationships with friends, like I had to be home at a certain time, you know, there were times where I would, I would want to hang out with friends as late as possible after school, I, I wasn't allowed to go to anyone's house. So I'd kind of hang out with them after school, knowing like I have to catch the bus, you know, but Sometimes I would just stay as late as I could as possible because I could run home and, you right. know, without even catching the bus and know I can get there within the time frame that I needed to be there, you know? So it was always pins and needles, pins and needles, you know? And then really that's, that's when finally the, the academia failure was like the camel that broke, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. And so to sense, because then it's like, you know, it, I understand from his perspective that I kind of maybe let him down in a sense, but that was when it was like, oh, you're stupid and this and that, like, you know, just the way that he handled it, and like, like, like you said, just the outsized, you know, reaction to it was just like, well, after going through all of this throughout my whole childhood and having to, to deal with everything that I dealt with, like, that was just it. That's when it was like, okay, well, now I'm, now I'm just going to, you know, be a, a rebel, you know, and, and yeah. do these things that I know I shouldn't be doing, but I've well, not done them the whole time. So, Well, in the face of an extreme reaction, it kind of felt probably like it called for an extreme reaction. You know, right. you, you needed to let back or fire back something. What about your brother? What was his experience and his, you know, was it similar, different? It was very different, so to speak. I mean, he was a younger one. And I mean, of course, they, they tend to say that the older child gets the, you know, the strict parent and then the younger child gets the more lenient because they've maybe learned or whatnot. Yeah. That's exactly the scenario with me and my brother. I mean, him being, there's a seven year difference between me and my younger oh, brother. Okay. So at that time, I mean, he was young and I mean, there was just a lot of things growing up, you know, that the way that I was treated, like my dad would say, I'm not his son. You know, things like that would just take a toll on me throughout the whole time. So, yeah, it was the difference between the things that 
were going on with me and my brother, regardless of being in the same household with the same parents, blood parents, was a totally you know different story. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that, you know, your relationship has evolved, it'll be interesting to hear about, you know, where you're at now in your relationships with your family, but let's not jump over what <laughs> happened next. So you obviously you got, you fired back by, I guess I call it by kind of being a rebel. You got in the trouble that you had never really pursued before you were at this age, like, 13 something correct yeah, right 13 and you were getting in trouble and so that led to that escalated how well that necessarily didn't escalate too much that was when i kind of started skipping school and then that's what made things worse it was like throwing you know gasoline yeah. on the fire to the point where things got so bad i was you know the only thing i could think of doing was running away Mm -hmm. So that's when I ran away a few times. The school officer came in and said, hey, we know that you ran away. And, you know, they kind of just called my parents. I went back home. Of course, that's when I, you know, had to deal with, you know, deal with the, yeah. the repercussions of running away. It was shortly afterwards. I mean, maybe January, February, where I actually ran away again. And I was gone for three months that time. That's what kind of led to maybe like the end of the school year. And so I finished out my freshman year without receiving any credits at all, even though I had the one and a half already coming into high school. So completely messed up my whole freshman year by the decisions that I made. And at that time, when I did, when my parents did find me, they actually found me just kind of walking down the street after that three month runaway. And it was crazy how it unfolded because I was with some kids because I met some kids that were their parents were drug addicts. So they weren't being taken care of. And they're just kids that I met, you know, just being in the, the neighborhood close to the school where I was from yeah. and stuff like that. And I was kind of looking out for them. So I was with them and my parents, I just seen them running down the street. And my dad was furious, of course, like, oh, we found you and things like that. And there was a gas station with a cop there. And for some weird reason, he thought that the cop was there because since I was walking from that direction, and this is his explanation, was that he assumed that the cop was there for me because maybe I had stolen something from the store or something mm -hmm. like that. So he approached the cop and was like, hey, this is my son. We found him. He ran away. And the cop was like, well, what do you want us to do? You found him. That's great. You know? Yeah. And I already knew just how irate my dad was. And of course, just the how I grew up that it was not going to be good whenever I got home. I mean, I had been gone for three months, you know, at this point. So I knew how things were going to go. So once again, I was hanging around with that bad crowd. Not necessarily, I mean, it was more so guilty by association. I didn't actually participate in anything that they did that was illegal. But I knew of a case where, you know, they did something. So I brought that up to the cop because, I mean, the aggression throughout my childhood would almost be like, you know, what if like my dad can seriously harm me? You know what I mean? There had been cases even in elementary school where child protective services were called because I went to doctor visits, had bruises. You know, there was one moment where, you know, I was punched in the face and a tooth, you know, went through my cheek, you know, and I visited the eye doctor and they reported it. But each time, you know, when they did come and visit me in school, you know, I said, oh, no, it's, it's no problem. Like I never you know, made it, turn it into an issue because I was, you know, more, I guess, more afraid of my dad than, you know, to protect him than to really give up, 
you know, what was really yeah. going on. So that's what that's that's just the context behind me, you know, just being really fearful of like, okay, well, this is the moment where I'm sure maybe something really bad can happen. So in that moment, I told the cop I was I had to figure out some way to not be able to go home with them. So I told the cop, like, hey, well, you know what? I did something illegal. I I broke into a vehicle. And I knew where the, like I said, I was, I never, I didn't participate in that moment of the crime. More so it was just guilty by association by being present, you know, with the people that I was running around with because I was a runaway. So I was 13 yeah, and I yeah, was staying you, at those you different were friends' be houses. A, so yeah, you were going to be in a lot of so, not great situations. Right. So the people that I was hanging out with, it was kind of like I was tagging along simply for survival in a sense, because you know, I needed a place to stay at night to be, you know, safe or whatnot, since I wasn't, you know, inclined to go back home or anything. And so I told them that. And of course, they I knew exactly where the place was. They talked to the owner. There was no proof that I actually did it or anything. It was just my story, their story confirming. And they're like, okay, well, and then it eventually got dropped. I mean, they really only charged me with running away because they knew that I didn't commit the crime at all. That yeah. was just my process of thinking at the time where I knew like I had to prevent this. So that was my first run in really with like, you know, going to juvenile detention, you know, and, and then even in there, like they, they knew that I was way too smart to be there. I mean, they had me going to school, but they had me doing, I was taking like auto mechanic classes on the computer while everybody else was doing math, science, reading, social studies, because they tested me. And of course, and they're like, yeah, you shouldn't be doing any of this. We're going to put you on a higher level. So I was there for a few weeks when I did go to court, of course, the very first time. That's when I was kind of like ready because, of course, making that decision, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into at the time. Because once I did arrive, the police officer brought me to juvenile detention. Like I heard, you know, all the things that were going on in there, just going through process. And I'm like, yeah. oh, man, like, what is this? You know, like we've seen the shows in jail and stuff like that. So the worst thoughts as possible were going through my mind. And uh, it turned out it wasn't, you know, entirely that bad. Being in a cell, you know, by myself wasn't that bad because it was kind of growing up. That's how it was. Like me and my brother, we shared a room, but it was kind of like we we didn't really play together together. Like it was like I'm reading my book on this side of the room. He's reading his book on that side of the room. Sometimes we may speak or something. So and then my parents were always in the living room watching TV. So it's always kind of I've always kind of had that secluded you know, yeah. environment just kind of bubble around me anyway. So it was more so like, okay, I'm ready to go home. And then that first court date, they were like, well, do you want him to come home? And that's when my mom said no, you know, and that, that at that time, that was really hurtful because it's like, well, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to like work through this. You know, I want to see that you love and care, you know, and that's why the reasoning behind all these actions are period. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. I felt like you guys weren't there for me, you know, like you should as parents. And so did that. And I eventually went home. They put me on house arrest. They kind of, I started going to summer school because I was a summer between sophomore, freshman and sophomore year. And right. I ended up running away again, but it was well, only for two me, days this time. Let me stop you. This so, <laughs> so the thing that comes out though, Damon, and this happened actually the first time we talked, but I had, for, I had forgotten about it, was that the abuse is something that you don't lead with. Like you don't start with, well, I was abused as a kid. My dad used to hit me. My dad punched me. The, You know, 
it mm. comes out. It kind of teases out as we talk about, you know, the road that you were on and the academic stuff and the advanced kind of, you know, the good behavior and all that stuff. But there's a chance for us to touch on that complex relationship that kids have with their parents, where you could have said to that cop, look, if you let me go home, he's going to beat the shit out of me or he's going to do something to me. Or if you look through the record, you'll see that child services has been to my house. You know, you didn't have to get in trouble at all. Right. Theoretically. Right. right. Exactly. But you had number one fear, fear that you might be in a worse situation just by going home, which was probably very legitimate fear. And then you had a fear of probably like just betraying your father or your parents. And so it didn't really feel in the moment like, okay, I just need to explain to the cop that I'm the victim, right. you know, right. which would seem to be simple, but that's so complex and that's so hard. What it was your mom's attitude about now your mom was a nurse so what was her attitude about you being hit you being you know abused physically and and not you know and and being in fear of your father i mean it was pretty much the same for her as well you know she dealt with the same things you know the outrage the abuse you know, both both verbally and physically herself as well, you know. Uh-huh. So that's why I just all around. I mean, my younger brother did have, you know, some instances, but it definitely wasn't, you know, it was more like me and my mom got the brunt of, of most of the rage, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she didn't agree with it. She didn't like it. I mean, being with my mom was always one of those safe places. But at the same time, I knew it wasn't completely safe because she wasn't safe either. She wasn't safe and she wasn't protecting you. She wasn't going to exercise her wrath on you. So in that sense, you were safe. But neither of you were safe from your dad. Okay, so you ran away again. It was just two days. that that Yeah, because I was going to summer school to try to make up the credits and everything. And that was, you know, crazy decision that i made but i ended up just finding a cop and saying hey i'm I'm on house arrest you know i'm not it's not supposed to be i've been gone for two days so they took me back and then i stayed another two weeks in juvenile then they let me out on probation i was on probation for six months that's fast forward through the summer nothing else you know i didn't step out of line or anything like that i started my sophomore year i started playing football got into football i was taking dual classes so i was taking freshman and sophomore classes basically just finished up, got, you know, worked really hard and uh, still ended up graduating when I was 17. Had I not messed up when I was a freshman, of course, I would have graduated when I was 16. (laughs) So yeah, the, I mean, of course, later on through the, towards the end of high school, there was, you know, still that, that trouble there, you know, I ended up having to stay with like a counselor from my school. She welcomed me into my, into her home because of all the the trouble that she knew I was having at home and whatnot, but ended up, you know, graduating and whatnot. And then just college was there, visited, you know, a dozen colleges, got accepted to UT Austin and all that good stuff, but eventually made the bad decision of not attending right. just due to, you know, just not, I don't know, just that's, that was just the poor decision again that Did I Did you tell me time, the, so. the other time that we talked that you were bored Oh, you you got bored not having a plan, I think, with the actual drug business, right? 
Was that part of right, it? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That That's you kind of like, yeah. you know, so, so, okay. So you were not attending classes at college, which in a way right. isn't so surprising because you were always bored with, you know, school itself was never really challenging. So right. college, you know, I don't know. <laughs> college, I have different feelings about college. My, I went between my sisters and I, we went to all kinds of different colleges you know, good colleges, you know, community college. My kids have gone to both private college and universities and community college and college in other countries and all that stuff. And there, it's a questionable situation. You know, it, the institutional learning is very, very flawed. So, okay, so you weren't really interested in classes at Austin. And then what happened? So from there, I mean, it was just kind of one of those things. And that's why I'm I'm giving a lot of context, you know, just growing yeah. up with just being exposed to, you know, that world, you know, of people doing illegal crimes. I mean, even growing up, like my dad, you know, I've even dove into this, you know, as far as it being, you know, hereditary, you know, my dad would always tell us stories growing up, like, you know, about all these things that he would do that were illegal, you know, saying how bad he was you know, and how he never got caught and things like that. And just even from other family members, you know, that was one of the, the reasons why we moved to Texas when I was seven was because of the trouble and the history of our family, you know, doing things that were illegal and stuff like that. So I've always, you know, just growing up, I heard stories and stuff like that, like a part of the Sunday, you know, helping in the kitchen, you know, even just long talks period growing up where my right. dad telling us about all of the illegal things that he would do you know so just being exposed to that and then getting a little taste of it with the people that i you know started hanging around with you know that was kind of just the life after high school was that and it's, it was kind it's, of sorry it's ironic damon that the whole time that you were on you know that you were doing house arrest and you were doing juvie and you were doing all these things that really your dad should have been the one <laughs> in either jail or at least counseling or, you know, various things. He was the one who really should have been held accountable. You were a minor and, you know, and he had a lot of it. And then we're leading up to this kind of like where we're because ultimately more important than the drug business or any of that is really the relationships, you know, but let's touch on the drug business a little bit. Because, yeah, because you did what's fascinating is how you turned your intellect and your ambition and your ability to an illicit enterprise, albeit, you know, it was marijuana. It's different from what, you know, what we, we you, you, it wasn't New Jack City. But what was that turning point where you were like, okay, I'm going to switch. I'm going to go into that. I'm going to go into business and do that. Well, for me, it was always just throughout my life, even when I was hanging around the people that were already doing, you know, illegal activities, you know, I was kind of so curious that I would try to get, you know, understanding of what they're doing, how they're doing it, and then improving on that. You know what I mean? Like right. even from the tools that they'd use, I'd be like, hey, this there's a better way to do that. You know, I was always the one that would, you know, optimize their systems and processes because that's just how my brain thought, you know, even 
from you know the operations of it to say hey why don't you do this why don't you try this you know to prevent yourself from getting caught like you know have a lookout here have somebody here you know have a, a bluetooth you know everyone connected with bluetooth on the phone you know like it was always just trying to solve what i felt like were challenges or issues just the way that my brain was processing things yeah and then for me to to get into the marijuana business, I mean, once again, I, I'd always been a reader. So I, I read books, you know, and stuff like that. And of course, I was around it. My dad smoked marijuana ever since, you know, his whole life. So I've always been around it. So those people would come over to sell weed to my dad and things like that. And just one of those things, I mean, and then being in juvenile and then just being in, incarcerated in itself, it's those people, you hear the stories, you know, and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, well, I always told myself, hey, if I do something like that, if I decide to go down that road, you know, I'm not going to be one of those violent, crazy people or anything else like that. I'm going to treat it. I'm going to treat it in a way to where I hope that nothing really bad happens. But if I do, I want to do it to the biggest level as possible, because that's how I kind of approached everything. I want to be the best at it. You know, so really, the turning point for me was just, I was I was bored. I worked at a job that I ended up kind of hurting my back and you know I was kind of in a limited capacity it was something that I had been doing I mean it it was more mechanically inclined so I was always kind of stretching my you know mental elasticity as far as solving problems and stuff like that troubleshooting electrical issues and things like that but then just kind of being in a limited capacity like I was kind of just like well I'm bored and then I kind of met the right people that were able to make that possible you know so it's like okay well I didn't just meet somebody that was, you know, I wasn't buying marijuana from anybody. I wasn't even smoking marijuana at the time. You know, I I just ended up meeting somebody that was a, at a high level that can really already kind of introduce me to that game, basically, at a certain point, you know, and just with my level of, you know, communication and, you know, basically both street smart and book smart, right. you know, I was able to kind of accept this person as kind of like a mentor in a sense to learn the business so it started from there i mean and it and it progressed rapidly you know within three months from i didn't have a vehicle i didn't have anything you know i was getting fronted ounces at first and then within a few months you know and that's just with the power of networking just applying all these (laughs) business principles that i wasn't really understanding at the time knowing that this was how business works you know but just it kind of coming naturally and intuitively to me, it really progressed rapidly to where I was then going into the pounds. And then that's when I was like the right-hand man. And that's how it escalated to where it did come to the 250K a week, because that was just the, you know, it came from ounces to selling half pounds to selling pounds, then to selling five pounds at a time, seven pounds at a time, 10 pounds at a time to multiple people. And where, where were you living at this point? I was in Austin. Yeah, but I mean, where? Like, in your own place? You were living in yeah. your, at home? So no, 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 no. You weren't at home. <laughs> you hadn't been in, no. living at home for a while, and you were yeah, you not were... at home for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what contact were you having at this point with your parents and your brother? Very limited capacity. They kind of, for a while, they didn't know what was going on. But I mean, my brother was always someone that regardless of the age difference, regardless of, you know, the level of communication or I guess relationship lack thereof that we did have growing up. I mean, even when I ran away from home, the times that I did run away, 
I would go visit my brother. I knew when he would have recess at school and mm. I'd just hang outside the gate just to see him, just to wave to him. Like my brother was always near and dear to me, you know, and, and for a while I felt guilty for leaving him in the situation. But then I also understood that he wasn't receiving the same type of treatment that I was. So I knew yeah. that he would be good at the end of the day, but there was always that, that level of guilt in a sense. And that's where, you know, coming back and like, seeing him and letting him know that I'm okay. You know, even if my parents didn't see me for the whole three months, my brother saw me for five minute increments here and there. Right. Um, so my brother was the type, I mean, he's not the one that's going to jump into the, the, the things and take the risk like I would, but you know, he's familiar. So it was easy, yeah. to, you know, to, for him to understand why I'm doing the things that I'm doing in a sense and things like that. And then, I mean, my dad, of course, the, ego-driven person that he is it's like oh you're doing that but guess what i did this worse and i did it better and this and that and i mean even me with me being arrested and stuff like that it's still like oh you got caught you're dumb you got caught i'm not i didn't ever get caught you know things like that so yeah well you know. well okay so so then you you did get to a to a place where your operations you know skills and your intellect and your financial acumen and all this stuff so you got to a place where you're bringing in oh now you you flipped your there you go you're bringing in a quarter million dollars a week and then what changed what changed with that was that i really i got bored with that as well I right mean, it was never really money driven it was just more so the challenge you know the challenge and i guess the thrill of knowing like, okay, well, how far can I take this? Yeah. You know, and it was just exciting. I just, once again, it was just the adventure, the challenge. And, you know, eventually I did get bored because once again, the money wasn't an issue. Like I wasn't a flashy type. I didn't have, you know, all the jewelry, like some of my counterparts did. I didn't have the flashy cars. I didn't hang out. I tried to, you know, I, I was basically living a double life, so to speak. I would go visit my parents, my brother and stuff like that. I wouldn't really bring that stuff around them. But then I also had a group of friends that were, they're straight edge. You know what I mean? They knew uh -huh. what I was yeah. doing. But once again, if you're associated yourself with somebody at the same time, they just knew like deep inside my character, my person, who I am. Like, you know, I was never one to harm anybody. I'm not really I'm doing something illegal, but yeah, you're not, not a bad guy. You're yeah, not a bad not, guy. You're literally not that guy that swaggers around and kicks people's ass. You were doing what you were doing and you had your reasons and, right. you know, but you were bored. You didn't feel like you weren't. You didn't feel like you were you weren't afraid of getting caught or you weren't afraid of like there was there any fear at this point or you, you'd actually been in the system a little bit and you'd had a not awful experience you know and not extended experience and you had you know the worst of what you'd had probably was were those times at home when when your father lashed out at you that may have, that was probably the worst of what you'd experienced in life right i mean aside, exactly. yeah so how did the business come to a halt well, the business came to a halt was I would travel out of the city a lot, you know, to to meet people, to drop off, you know, seven, 10 packs of, you know, of pounds of, of marijuana or whatnot. <laughs> yeah. One of one of the guys, he was from a small town and he was obviously the guy around there, which I was supplying him. And he ended up getting caught up with, you know, the police there. And it one on one of the drives one of the drop-offs uh i was basically set up so riding back through 
you know, to Austin. I was passing through Waco and DPS pulled me over and I accepted one pound from him back because he said, hey, I can't move this. This isn't that great quality, which is something I never do ever. You know, right. sometimes it's just like, hey, you know what? I'll drop the price for you. Just give me whatever. Take your time, you know, because at yeah. that time, like that was that was part of me reaching the level two that that I was at was because for the higher ups, like I could sell anything like they they would give me stuff that other people, you know, couldn't get rid of. And I was a salesman. You know what I mean? Like I can mm -hmm. get rid of it at some point, some level, regardless of how I'm going to do it, you know, dropping the price, you know, giving some type of extra time frame or whatever maybe the case like i was able to get things done whatever they needed i got done i was efficient right. you know i was driven so with him it was just like okay well you can't you can't get rid of it that's fine so of course i had the you know just you broke your rule it was like 13,750 thir dollars cash um and then the 1 pound was in the trunk of the car so of course when dps pulled me over first thing they asked me they knew what was going on already so they asked me immediately when they came up to the car do you have anything in the car of course my response is no um and yeah so they all right well we're gonna check it anyway we could bring the dog you know i'm like okay well the dog's gonna smell it the dog's gonna find yeah. it whatever so yeah okay i got a pound in the trunk okay cool step out the car so they pull me in they question me they kind of bring up names i'm like okay now i know what's going on you know there's no way i can run from this of course they want me to give up other people you right know? you he gave you up and then you you got hit with i guess with uh, possession and intent to distribute or what only possession there? and then money laundering since the money cash laundering. because oh, if you okay. get caught with any any amount over a thousand it's like a misdemeanor on up um, of course, the money laundering that I, it's it's a huge gap the way the laws are in Texas. Right, right. But yeah, they charged me with money laundering because in the process of, a, you know, possession of any type of drug, if you can't prove where the cash came from, then, you know, then they charge then you with it, money laundering. money laundering. Okay. Right, right. All right. So that's what I was charged with. Even after the hours of questioning, the threats and everything like that, I didn't give up anybody else because a lot of the people that I did know, they were good people you know there were yeah. some people that of course i ran across that were unscrupulous that were you know dodgy people that did you know things that weren't right and that was part of the reason why i was like you know what i'm at the level now where i'm starting to interact with people that i don't want to you know i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to fall too deep into this you know mm -hmm. to where this might influence me enough to go do something you know what i mean that i don't agree with that's against my morals and stuff like that so that was part of the reason why also that I was like, okay, well, it's time, it's time to get out, you know? And then of course being arrested was, you know, another reason because it's like, okay, well, I'm caught, you know, there's not much else I can do. I mean, I immediately, um, I bonded out the next day, you know, then I was on bond for 14 months. So my whole perspective on that, my whole outlook on that then was, okay, well, I'm only going to do this to try to rack up enough money, you know, to help my kids, you know, to help, you know, my family to prepare myself to do this time. Because at that point, I didn't know how much time I was going to do. I know there was a cap on, you know, two years each per each crime, depending on if they wanted to run it consecutively, you know, or concurrent. So I knew approximately, you know, and also understanding the justice system. I mean, just dealing with it from a young age. I mean, that even that was part of the reason why I kind of did what I did and went, you know, balls to the wall, because a lot of times I was judged because of my past mistakes, you know, and a mm -hmm. lot of those mistakes, a lot of those 
situations that I was put in with the justice system was because I had no understanding of the justice system, how it works. So, and that's one initiative that I'm really passionate about now is helping people, especially kids that are put in situations where they're forced to sign that line, you know, basically pleading, pleading guilty for something that they shouldn't necessarily, you know, be punished to that certain extent, you know, because then it does leave that track record. Um, so ultimately after the 14 months, I did receive a 14 month sentence. And, right. um, from there, you know, I ended up doing 11 months. I, as soon as I got in there, I mean, regardless of me being even, even incarcerated, like I was never the guy that, you know, I really had to worry. Like I respect people, you know, I carry myself with a certain way that there's no, you know, there's no needing to knock out the toughest person or anything right. like that. At least from my, like, I always had the best experience possible that you can have <laughs> in there. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but like you would also, you would also maintain that all the way through. You never, you never, you're not that person who was like, well, I used to beat people up. I used to, you, your character was, was pretty consistent all the way through. It just was challenged and misdirected and, you know, just a little twist and turn here and there, but not really your essential person was who you were. And at that point, especially you were out of the business. You weren't looking to get back in the business. And I we're a little tight on time, but I know you I know you did have the opportunity to get back in the business once you had gotten out of it. So, you know, you came out. Let's just give a, a kind of a summary of your post incarceration experience and what you're doing now. And then we'll touch on the relationships. Got you. Yeah. So, I mean, even kind of prior to me, you know, being kind of turning myself in to do that, to do the time that I did, there was already a proposal that was brought to me where it was like, hey, you know, whenever you get out, we'd love for you to kind of take on things in a bigger role where it was more like overseeing operations, you right. know, instead of being in Texas, you know, kind of overseeing the people that I had working for me as far as my own operation, but overseeing the operation as a whole and kind of going out to California, you know, meeting with growers, you know, stuff like that and putting together loads that were being shipped out, you know, wherever they needed to go and stuff like that. You know, of course they offered the penthouse, you know, right. wherever I wanted to right. stay, you know, <laughs> things like that. So it came with, with whatever I basically they, they were willing to hand me whatever I wanted because they knew that, they could depend on me for anything. I mean, I've already, I proved my, I, I proved I was worth my salt throughout the whole duration of rising to the level that I did doing, you know, putting in the work that I did for them. But then also, you know, when it came down to where the police put the pressure on me, I didn't fold, you know, so they knew my character, they knew who I was, you know, they knew I had the loyalty, the trust and everything else there. So that's when they were really, really, really ready for me to be on the next level. And it just wasn't something that my heart wasn't in anymore, you know, because right. of variables and factors that I've already kind of touched on. But yeah, I, I definitely politely declined, even though, you know, yeah. at the same time, it's nice to see like, okay, well, man, that could be a nice, you know, nice life in a sense, but then not in a sense, because, you know, I just wasn't at that time, regardless of all the risk that I was willing to take on throughout that time, I wasn't, I wasn't willing to do that. And then, you know, after that, I kind of, you know, turned my story around after getting out of jail and, you know, was able to receive mentorships from, you know, a few millionaires and just network from there and started a few businesses and, 
you know, now really just applying all the things that I learned, which now I'm learning now are part of growing businesses and stuff like that, which I didn't know prior to that. It's all been part of me this whole time. And now just using that to help others start and grow businesses. And right now I'm currently focused on like health and fitness businesses doing acquisitions. And then also, you know, just encompassing the philosophy of living the good life, which I learned from one of my mentors, Ty Lopez, and focusing on health, because within the past two years, I've gone from 300 pounds down to 160, wow, you know, yeah. so yeah, just, you know, really adopting that lifestyle, you knowing, knowing like, hey, this is the lifestyle that I want to live. This is, you know, the, the people that I want around me. And this is, I want to do things the right way. So that's what I'm up to now is kind of coaching people on that first pillar of the good life, which is health, you know, how do we ride their mindset and stuff like that. And just, you know, help them with their personal growth. And while I'm doing that, just look out for gyms, you know, healthy supplements and stuff like that. And fire those businesses. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, I can't remember where I heard it. I heard it only today. And I, we get so much input. It's hard to give credit when you hear a good quote or something, you know, <laughs> you can pick it up on Instagram, you can pick it up anywhere, but right. someone had been giving a talk and the person who attended the talk said to the speaker, I want to do what, what you do. You know, I want to do what you do. And he said, well, in order to do what I do, you have to have done what I did. And what he when... was essentially saying is, you know, yeah, you could you could follow my prescriptions for what you need to do. But I got to this point through all the crazy, good, bad, different, you know, all the different things. And my life as a, as a whole led me to this point. And so, you know, it's it would be very hard to replicate an exact right. thing. But, you know, there are things we can we can work on. But anyway. So in your case, the sum total of all of your experiences, you know, led you here. Now, let's kind of summer, conclude our awesome conversation with, you know, where these relationships have have landed, especially over the last, you know, seven or eight months. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of the relationships have improved. I mean, especially, I mean, with my dad, there's definitely that understanding that there's only a certain level that I'm really going to ever reach possibly, which is, you know, I'm content with that. You know, a lot of the stuff is, you know, it's one of those things where you can forgive, but you don't forget in a sense. There's just a lot of pain there on his side that he's refusing to, you know, kind of encompass and release or whatnot, but he's definitely making progress. And that's one of the huge things that has happened within the eight past seven, eight months is that I've really seen the steps that he's taken. And that's why, even though I say there may be only a certain level, I'm, I'm, I could be wrong. You know, I'm always yeah. willing to say when I'm wrong or whatnot. And just based off of the progress that he has made, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe I, I'm hope I am going to be wrong. Um, yeah. but it's definitely one of those things where it, my relationship with him has improved. He's kind of taken accountability and responsibility for a lot of the things, you know, instead of directly blaming me for, you know, running away and things like that. And his, his, his perspective has definitely changed on that, you know, and of course with my mom too, it, it, a lot of the, you know, a lot of the time just growing up, I kind of blamed her. Like you kept us in this situation, you knew what was going on, you dealt with it yourself, you know? So there's definitely been some talks, you know, that have gone on and, Working through that for what's, sure. It's, what's it's, happened um, between them? What's happened between them, between your parents? 
They've yeah. gotten a lot closer. Yeah. They've gotten a lot closer recently. Just being up here, like I was saying in the beginning, I'm here in Schenectady, where that's my hometown before moving to Texas when I was seven. Just with the passing of my uncle also kind of brought everyone a little closer together, kind of, you know, brought some things to light that, you know, maybe just weren't really thought about before. And uh, my parents even were baptized together. <laughs> oh, wow. Know? Yeah. So, yeah, this, it's been amazing, you know, and I have plans of moving back up here to be close to family after being in Texas for so long. So there's definitely been that, you know, and they, they're they not legally married or anything like that. And I think that's that's definitely maybe on the horizon. It wouldn't surprise me. And I'm completely happy for them. So, yeah, they've, they've worked on their side. And that's why, you know, I think my dad was able to work through some things with me as well. Because then he has, I have sisters that we, we, we have different moms and he's, you know, a lot of that has come to him and has come to his realization as well too. And, you know, he's maybe searching for redemption in a sense. So he's, there's a lot of things that have come to life for him and he's realizing it. And, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like just to, I'm completely proud of him to see the growth that he's had, you know, both in my relationship with him, plus with my parents and then also with everyone else around us and our, you know, the rest of our family. So their relationship has definitely gotten better. And that's why, like I said, I don't want to sound cynical by saying there's a certain level. I hope I'm wrong. I, I wish I, you know, well, I you're will just, be wrong. Sure, yeah. You're but. just, you're just standing. You're just honoring your own experience and your own integrity and saying, look, you know, I I'm inclined to give a lot, to give a lot of props for where he's at, but I also have to hold firm on what I am entitled to feel. And, you know, and how about your brother? What's his trajectory been? My brother's been great. You know, I mean, he's, he's always, I mean, he's always, he's the baby in a sense, you know? So he's always, you know, that was kind of one of the leading reasons why uh, he he moved out to Washington not that long ago. And uh, he's been out there and he's enjoying life. He's having, you know, he was, he came, he flew out cross country here for the funeral, went back home. He has a fiance now, you know? So yeah, he's definitely, you know, it's one of those things too, where even when he was here, you know, I had kind of a heart to heart with him and let him know like, Hey, I've always tried to be there in a certain level that I could have. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm working on, progressively working on the relationship with him as well so even with the distance that's between us but my brother's always been good in a sense so yeah everything's just gonna go up from here and you also have kids right correct yes yeah because we we touched on it the first time we didn't really get get around to it but what's your family situation i mean of course that was kind of like the gap after high school where i was 19 and i had this right you know even stemming from taking care of the younger kids when I was a runaway, you know, just always having that heart, which of course my, my dad, regardless of, you know, the lack of emotional control that he might've had with me, but just what he, you know, how he treated other people was great. And then with my mom, like it's, it's just natural for me to have that kind of family oriented sense to give to people, to look out for people, to care and have that empathy and compassion. So right out of high school. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was 18 and I thought I found the right woman to settle down with, got married, had kids. And a few years later, didn't really work out. So, of course, we have that separation. But, you know, everything else is good as far as, you know, co-parenting and trying to 
cultivate my kids to be better than I am, to get them to understand. And that's what's been so great is that just having the personal growth that I've had, plus learning all the different things from books and mentors and, you know, even things from you as well, like just being able to teach them that stuff, you know, I mean, their mom isn't necessarily right there on the same level, but she's learning too, you know, and, and she's being yeah. open-minded about it all. It's definitely a process, you know, to co-parent, especially from a distance while I'm traveling around doing business and, you know, stuff like that. But everything is pretty good. It's one of those things where I'm constantly trying to, you know, level up in those four pillars of the philosophy of the good life, health, wealth, love, and happiness, you know? So yeah, as long as I know that I can be consistent and persistent and just kind of be that rock for everyone else and kind of be that fire behind everybody to get them to a level where they can feel like they're, you know, living their best life or being the best version of themselves, you know, from everyone in my family to those that I come across throughout my travels, you know, that's my goal. Yeah, that's great. And have you thought about writing a book about your experiences? <laughs> I have, yes. I'm not sure. I, I want to say it might be more of like a memoir. Yeah. Uh, in a sense. But yeah, I've, I have many notes. Sometimes they come to me, you know, just different stories throughout my life. And I'll, I'll jot them down. I have notepads. I have, you know, notes full of, you know, over 500 notes in my phone. So yeah, it's not ready yet, because there's so much opportunities that I, I've done, even from doing, you know, a movie not that long ago, doing game shows, you know, just constantly, you know, I'm, I'm taking on new opportunities, new adventures. So it's kind right. of hard to say when exactly I want to do it, but maybe I can do like a, you know, it'll be a series maybe where I can do the yeah. first volume and from there as things progress, do a second, third, fourth or so on. Well, it could also, you know, I think of the title overachiever, right? Because there's a lot to that, but I also think that maybe, yeah, you can write it down <laughs> over, <laughs> overachiever, but there's also the idea that maybe if it were a series, it could involve, you know, kids like bring like kids who are facing similar situations or have faced situations or are just trying to transition through the, the maturity process, the maturing process. And with their various gifts and skills, um, you know, how you can be your, you know, be your best self, live, live the good life, you know, as Ty says, it's kind of like, you know, you, you could really, you could really have an impact with it rather than, you know, it doesn't have to just be you're telling your story, but I think learning about you is, is fascinating. Certainly my pleasure and a real honor to, to speak with you again. And I wish you, you know, continued success in, in everything you're doing. And I think you have always had a, a sense of what success would be, you know, do you feel like at this point you're leading a successful life? I do. I, I truly do. You know, just based off of, you know, the path that I'm on and, you know, just looking back and not really letting the past define me, you know, and just kind of, you know, encompassing the whole, your message, your message, you know, because at the same time, I, I do know that regardless of the mistakes, you know, there's me at my core, which has never changed, you know, my authentic true self has never changed, you know, regardless of the decisions, you know, it's kind of like one of those one-off things where, you know, psychologists and stuff like that, they, they try to study people, why smart people commit crimes and things like that, you know, which I've, I've dove into the research on, you know, but it's like, 
I'm not one that fits that a mold, like yeah. a particular mold. Like I'm always going against the status quo, you know. So just being able to to share that and to to show people, you know, like yeah, that's definitely one of those things where I'm excited to do. Thanks so much for tuning into Truth Tastes Funny. If you enjoyed the experience, please leave a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends.